Work's very, very important to me. The family even more. And I got to take care of myself. So you can achieve this. It's never a third, a third, and a third. That's not what we mean by balance. It's what's right for you at this time in your life. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm J.R. Flatter. I'm here with my co-hosts, Lucas, our millennial co-host. I'm the boomer of the group. And Miss Rosalie, who is our Gen Z of the cohort. So we're going to have an intergenerational conversation. And I know our cohort is building a coaching culture. But for us, a fundamental piece of building a coaching culture is building your house of leadership. And so when we think about building a coaching culture, it's building leadership depth, coaching accreditation, and culture development. And so today we're going to focus on starting a 12-week journey on building your personal and professional house of leadership. That's what this conversation is all about. And as always, Lucas and Rosalie jump in here whenever. So come with us on this journey for the next 12 sessions of building a coaching culture. We're going to be talking about building this house of leadership. We've done this a lot. Lucas, you've participated in several cohorts. Rosalie, you've participated in several cohorts both as a facilitator and as a a participant leader. So when I make this bold statement, this journey that we're beginning, it's going to change the direction of both your personal and professional life. I know that's a bold statement. And here at day zero of this 12-week journey that we're going to be on, it's hard to believe that 12 hours of podcasts, 12 weeks of thinking about and Taking action on these topics could literally change the direction of your life, but we've seen it again and again and again. So Rosalie or Lucas, jump in here and, and hopefully back me up. I was going to ask, could you bring up any examples of success stories that we could kind of elaborate on? Yeah. Uh, as of late, my exemplar of this statement is a cohort that we did a few weeks ago. Uh, but one of the participants came into the cohort as a favor to their daughter. So it was a father coming into the cohort as a favor to the daughter because the daughter said, Hey, I've been doing this coaching thing. I think it'd be really valuable for you. Could you come? Yeah. Okay. It's four days, 30 hours. I can do that. And literally within minutes of the first session, this person who was a bit cynical, but engaging in good faith, just had a, a life epiphany and like, Oh, wow. What just happened? And this was hour one of, our, of a 30-hour boot camp. And for the remainder of the course was one of the most engaged, one of the most changed, and couldn't speak highly enough about the experience. That's just one exemplar. Rosalie, I know you've experienced and also facilitated similar discoveries. Yeah, it's truly tremendous to hear people's stories, especially those testimonial sessions that we have 
at the end of those 12 weeks mm-hmm. to see and hear how the people have grown. And, and you can see it during the program. You can see it in the way that they're discussing how the week went and how their developmental assignments may have gone. But it is truly at those sessions that they kind of draw those conclusions. And one of the most powerful I find every time we have an intergenerational program that we're so much more alike than we may think. And sometimes those barriers mm-hmm. that we put up mm-hmm. inhibit us from learning more from each other. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. It's one of my big passions in life to make and help generations come together. So I think that's one of my favorite parts of the program to to see and hear towards the end. Yeah, I don't think either of you were there, but we did a, a similar engagement in Seattle. It's been a few years ago where we had five generations in the room. And it was a three-hour engagement on a different topic, but it was intergenerational dialogue. And we split them into five groups, and they had a 20 or a 30-minute conversation with each group. I forget exactly. And you couldn't be in the same group twice. So every 20 or 30 minutes, they would rotate. And so each person sat in five different groups. And we did that at the end of the, of the time. We said, as you're leaving, write the one thing that stood out the most for you. And almost to the person, they said exactly what you said, Rosalie. We are so much more alike than we are different across five different generations. It's just incredible. So thanks for bringing that up and reminding me. So 12 weeks and 12 different topics. You would ask me perhaps why 12 weeks? Why not 12 hours? Why not 12 days? It takes that long to get your head around some of these ideas. And it takes that long to form new habits. We're also going to give you developmental assignments after each one-hour lecture. So it takes time to schedule and execute those assignments. There's a lot of varying opinion in the literature. How long does it change to change a habit? How long does it take to change behavior? Some people say hours. Some people say months, if not even more. But we found somewhere around 100 days in our experiences. And 12 weeks is 84 days. What often happens is if you miss one of these you're not able to do the developmental assignments on a particular week. It gives you a couple buffer weeks before you get to 100 days. And there is something magical about 100 days for the human animal. If we meet each other for the first time and spend time together, you start to form opinions. Me, I start to form opinions of you. And those opinions get set in stone somewhere around 100 days. And it's very difficult to change them and move them. So that's why we do the 12-week framework. 12 weeks and 12 topics. We also get asked a lot, why the 12 weeks? And we were actually just asked that in a session earlier. And it's often, you know, there are programs out there that can be two days or, you know, a weekend of growth and development. But it's really important for, especially for those coaching relationships, or if you're looking to build a coaching culture and organization to sustain and support the maturation of that. And I I think that's why programs like these are so great, because they're a part of your life. Yes, they're another thing on your calendar. But with those developmental assignments, you're constantly thinking about it. You're working on it and, and thinking about those areas you want to grow personally and professionally. Yeah, with regard to commitment, these discussions between the three of us are going to be somewhere in the vicinity of an hour. We're going to ask you to journal every day for a few minutes. So that's another 20 to 30 minutes. We're going to ask you to schedule and have conversations with others. So that's another perhaps hour a week. We're going to ask you to have conversations with significant others in your life. So who in your world matters to you? I know, Lucas, you have a wife and a new baby and 
just finished your MBA. You're asking yourselves, what's next for us? Your wife's recently completed a life-changing developmental experience. And so seeking new profession, you're finishing your, you finished your MBA seeking what's next. You have to include significant others in those conversations. If you don't, you're going to go down this journey by yourself or you're just not going to, it's not going to happen. So we strongly, strongly recommend having a conversation with significant others. And then also go find a coach to go on this journey with. We can help you find a coach if you don't have one. Find someone in, in the coaching world that can help you on this journey. A peer-to-peer coach, a coach uh, that we could help you find. But have a conversation with them. So that's why it's 12 topics in 12 weeks. Our asks of you, set aside this time for yourself. Set aside an hour a week to listen to this podcast. It's going to be life-changing. Let your guard down. Uh, like the gentleman that we described from the recently finished cohort came in with a bit of cynicism, came in as a, a favor, but also came in with his guard down and had life-changing experiences. And finally, open your heart and open your mind. A lot of these topics might leave you scratching your head here at day zero. If you engage in good faith with an open heart and open mind, literally going to change the path of your life, the way you lead, the way you live, the way you think, the way you make decisions. It's going to change all that. We definitely bring this up a lot. And when we have guests on, even like, what do you say to somebody that's more skeptical about coming in and learning about this kind of topic? And I think, yeah, keeping an open mind and you know, an open heart and, you know, looking at things kind of with that intention to understand instead of, you know, just mm, folding your yeah. arms. And <laughs> Yeah. So this is our framework. You're going to see this house a lot. We are going to either build or if you already have a good sense of your leadership, remodel your house of leadership. And we're going to go through this in great detail today, but also we're going to focus on each one of these for an entire week. So courage is the foundation, the four pillars of principles, TCE, work, family, self, vision. I'm going to take a week for each of those. And then the enabling characteristics that enable us to execute upon our four pillars and to demonstrate our courage. And then finally, a, a journey of lifelong learning. So this is the house of leadership we're going to build or remodel. And I think the word on the last slide of remodel is really important here, to build and remodel. Because some people, for them, starting to think about these concepts, it might be the first time in their life that they're thinking about this. And other people might be in the middle of their career and they've thought about it in the past, but it's something that I truly believe anyone can rethink and rebuild at any part of their life. It is your own house of leadership, and no two people's house of leadership is going to look the same. In coaching, this is a tremendous tool to use over the maturation of the coaching relationship. It's having these concepts in your mind while you're coaching the individual, for me, has been really beneficial. But no two house of leadership are going to look the same. And in each of these columns, you're going to see areas where, for me, I'm a Gen Z, I'm just starting out in the workforce. So 
my work, my W is a lot larger than those other things. And then for some other people in their lives, those letters are going to take shape in different forms. So I think it's really, it's really beautiful when we have these conversations and starting to evaluate kind of where you are in the house of leadership and where you're going to maybe change or create a new structure or remodel a little bit. Because it is true, you can do this at any part of your life. It doesn't matter how old or young that you are. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So we talk about people having questions and perhaps being a bit cynical about, yeah, I've been doing this for decades and why would I need to build a house of leadership? I've been leading for 40 years. To back up a couple of slides, that's why we asked open heart and open mind. We've just seen it so many times. We have a cohort going on right now that I would say is relatively senior compared to a lot of the other cohorts. You and I do Gen Z cohorts, use the same house. This very senior cohort, we're using this house. And I could tell in day one when we introduced it, it was like, yeah, okay, this is another framework. Uh, the dozens that I've seen, I've been leading for 20x years. I'll play along. But then they see the magic everyone's going to see as they participate in this 12-week conversation. So we'll go back to the keep an open heart and an open mind again and again and again, especially here in the early days of this journey. So let's walk through just a quick build. and Courage is the foundation. Where does that come from? So I've been leading for over 40 years, recently celebrated my 60th birthday. It's hard for me to even believe that been a scholar of leadership for several decades. So not only a practitioner, but a scholar and a coach. And I keep coming back to this idea is where does leadership come from? What is it standing on? And for me and us, it's courage. When my principles are tested, when my vision's tested, when I'm questioning myself, we talk a lot about the imposter syndrome. I always come back to courage. Do I have the courage to follow my vision? Do I have the courage to align myself to my principles? Do I have the courage to balance my work, family, and self? So not only me as an individual, but me as a leader leading a complex organization, or me as a coach, coaching people who are leading complex organizations. It's all about courage as the foundation. Yeah, and I mean, if you are talking about coaching specifically, um you can jump into a room with a stranger that might have a resume like that's five times more impressive than your own. And I just had an experience with that and I was getting nervous. And <laughs> and then after the session, she says, oh, this was so useful for me. So <laughs> thank you so much. And I was thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, like I was so, so anxious yeah, about yeah. this. And, you know, so that kind of feeling that, oh, I'm I can add value to this situation is really helpful. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with Lucas there. I, I also was in a situation very similar. The person completely completely outranks me. And then you start getting in that self-doubt stage in your mind. And you got you to gotta be focused on the coaching session. But one of the things that was really hindering me was I hadn't coached in seven months. And this was my first time coaching. And I was so nervous for it. And at the end, she said how grateful she was. And she's excited to start this coaching relationship. And I was just in shock. I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. This is my first time coaching in a long time. So that means a lot. So it's, it's truly, this is the, this is the foundation for sure. Yeah. It's funny. Both of you mentioned it as you're 
coach of the coach. Earlier today, we were in a, in, a, in a cohort, and you were mentioned by name, Rosalie, as having achieved the breakthrough growth. And I tell you, as the coach of the coach, my heart was singing, like, yes, Rosalie, <laughs> go, Rosalie. Uh, and that's experience <laughs> our other coaches will have if they continue on this journey. You get to do that. I just think it's so amazing. You get to change people's lives. Principled are first of four pillars. You know, the dictionary definition of a principle is behavior that you choose to be, exhibit, a belief system that you choose to align to. I don't want to split the academic hair too much on this because there are academic treatises that we could spend days talking about. But for me, it's what's important to you in your life and how are you communicating and demonstrating that? What's right and wrong for you? What's right and wrong for the organization that you lead? As a coach, what are your principles as a coach? I think for both of you, not to put words in your mouth, but you want to help people achieve their personal and professional goals. And we get to do that as leaders. We get to do that as coaches. And so that's a principle that we align ourselves to. Equally important is we're not judging others when we lay out our own principles. Every organization has a set of core values that one might say, these are the principles of the organization. We have them here, service before profit, pursuing work that excites us and developing our leaders from within. Are we communicating that and are we demonstrating that? Uh, every time we promote somebody on the team, my heart sings because that's demonstration of our principle. Every time one of our team goes through a coaching accreditation, or a PMP boot camp, or gets a CISP accreditation, gets an MBA, graduates with their bachelor's. You know, that's us demonstrating our principles. I believe as a leader, you have to have some set of, a set of principles. If I'm going to align myself with any organization, I have to agree that I will align myself with their principles. So we follow the, the core values and ethics of the International Coaching Federation. We work with government organizations. We work with commercial organizations. We have to align ourselves within their principles if we're going to work together. Everything else, you get to choose. So beyond those three core values, you get to choose. We work hard. We play hard. If you want to be part of this team, you're going to need to be part of that. I guess the thing that always comes up in my mind is, you know, having diverse group of people and with their own principles, but then also having their like an organizational set of principles, like how do you balance that and, and what's a good, you know, healthy relationship between those things? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a good opportunity to discuss the difference between ethics and morality. Ethics are organizational. Morality is me. What do I believe? And if I can't align my morality with my organization's ethics, that's going to be a real challenge. I'm either going to have to rewrite the ethics. If I own the company, maybe I'll have an opportunity to do that. But then my team's going to look at me and say, hey, for 21 years, you've been telling me this. And now suddenly that's not important. More than likely, if your morality, your me, doesn't align with the ethics of the organization, you're probably going to have to vote with your feet. Whether it's a church, a for-profit organization, a government agency, I served for many years in the Marine Corps. 
And a mentor told me, you know, the Marine Corps has been around for 240 odd years, pretty successful. If you're frustrated with them, it might be time for you to move on. You could ask if you are struggling, is this really that important? How I wear my hair, what I wear to work, what hours I work, where I physically work. We've gone through a huge shift in the last couple of years of the where do I actually perform my work being, yeah, it's this cube right here to overnight. Well, perhaps that's not that important. So what was the principle that was requiring me to come to that cubicle? Was it actually a principle? When you're in duress, are you exhibiting the same principles during a crisis? Are you demonstrating the same principles? If you're not, they probably never were your principles. I love when we discuss these things because each time we discuss them, a lot of things have happened in, mm-hmm. in our lives. So, I mean, at least I am just thinking about this in a different light, but I'm thinking about how things that happen in your life and how that can impact them. And like you just said, therefore, like, were they even your principles in the first place? Yeah. So I'm thinking about the pandemic. I'm thinking about personal things that might happen in your life and how how that might, you know, shake the house a little bit. Yeah, we're going to spend a week on each of these, so we don't want to drill down too much. Technical cognitive and emotional alignment. I joke all the time. I have a comma PhD, so I get to make stuff up. And I literally did make up this pillar, but I didn't make up where it came from. Some of the biggest mistakes I've made in my professional life is putting a person in a job that wasn't part of their technical vision, their cognitive vision, or their emotional intelligent vision. Lucas and I had this conversation an hour and a half ago. Where are you on your TCE continuum? What do you want to do with your, this next phase of your life? That's his tone. We have a basket of jobs that we have. Are any of those jobs your TCE? He's a computer scientist with an MBA. Where is he on this continuum? He's still trying to figure that out. But in its simplest form is, what do you want to do with your professional life? You want to be a technical subject matter expert, cognitive, an analyst of some sort, decision maker, or emotional intelligent executive leader. There's no absolute, so it's not an absolute zero or one decision, but somewhere you're going to have to focus your attention to get where you want to go with your career and with your life. All four of these pillars intertwine, and we'll show that as when we show the four of them up there. But if you hire someone to be an emotionally intelligent leader, but they want to be just the best keyboarder the world's ever seen, it's probably not going to work. If you say you want to be the CEO of the company in 25 years, but all you want to do is code, it's probably going to have to make some adjustments. So that's that's what the TCE is all about. No right or wrong, just is. For the individual, for their significant others, for their vision, for their principles, all of these are very personal very personalized. Talk to us a little bit about your TCE, Lucas, as you're working through what's next for you and yours. I definitely see, I mean, around me, there's some people that specifically will say, I want to be an an engineer and I don't ever want to be part of management. And and so like, that's a deliberate decision on on their part. Oh, I want to focus on the technical and not necessarily think about cognitive and emotional elements of work. And, and I do think about that with, you know, you have a certain set of skills, but you can go get, you know, you can work on your emotional intelligence and your communication. And then, so my challenge, I guess, is trying to find a little bit of a hybrid where I am able to 
hold on to a little bit of the technical skills well, but also opening myself up to other opportunities. I don't know if that elaborates. <laughs> and, you know, as quickly as technology changes, that's got to be a huge burden on your mind. Like right now, you're a subject matter expert in this thing that six months ago, what's the Laffer, not the Laffer curve, what's the, the, the developmental curve of technology? Oh, um, Moore's, law. Moore's law. Yeah, I mean, that's getting accelerated and accelerated. You could be irrelevant in technology in a year. That's a mm-hmm. tremendous challenge to say, I want to be a producer. I want to be a leader of, and I, I'm willing to walk away from that technical expertise. I mean, that's got to be terribly challenging. Rosalie, brand new bachelor's degree, been in the workforce, single digit months, uh, full time. Yeah, so I'm definitely <laughs> at that technical stage for sure. <laughs> the one thing I was going to ask and kind of pertaining to Lucas's point is, can you do both? Can you can you be technical, but can you also be working towards emotional alignment? I guess for me, I'm thinking about the nonprofits that I'm working in and stuff like that. So do you think it's possible and, and or have you been at any point of your life where you've been able to kind of maybe align? Yeah, um, there are no absolutes in any of this, but there is the idea of opportunity cost. What are you doing versus what you could or should be doing? And so I knew I wanted to be a business owner. I knew that required me to be a CEO. And so bachelor's in business, master's in statistical analysis, PhD in leadership development seemed like the right things to do to give me the opportunity to be a CEO. I couldn't do multivariate regression analysis to save my life right now. Do I understand the fundamentals of what it means and how it's achieved and what its parameters are? Yeah, I still do. But I would turn to a subject matter expert and say, hey, here's a 100,000 data points. Tell me what statistically significant variables you can find. I wouldn't be able to go do it. And it would take me days, if not longer, to figure out again. The last time I did that, we were using DOS on mainframes. There was no GUI. It was just straight DOS on a mainframe. I had a laptop that when I hit enter, took eight and a half seconds to change the screen, line by line by line. Lucas, I don't know if you remember me screaming at that computer, but there were a lot of late nights. The T for me now is, do I know enough to know if you're telling me the truth? Are you following the fundamentals of valid research? That's about best I can hope for. You know, there's this idea that I wouldn't ask anyone to do that I, what I wouldn't do. I could jump in a, in a trench and pick up a shovel and dig, but it's not what the chairman of the organization should be doing. Could I do it? Yeah, of course. Have I done it? Yeah, of course. But is it the best use of my time and energy today or any time in the future? Hopefully I get close to what you're asking about. Work, family, self. One of the things we talk so much about that we all find so challenging. Rosalie, brand new to the workforce. Gigantic W in your life for today and probably as far as you can see into the future. But we celebrated you taking time off with your family in England, the homeland of your absolutely uh, father. Uh, I don't know if you spent any time <laughs> in Germany where, where your mother's from, but... Work, family, self is something we talk about and believe in here. And we celebrate that. Lucas just got back himself. I just got back from a 30-day trip and talk the talk and walk the walk. Work's very, very important to me. 
the family even more, and I got to take care of myself. So you can achieve this. It's never a third, a third, and a third. That's not what we mean by balance. It's what's right for you at this time in your life. So as you all were finishing your degrees, family was suffering, self was suffering for that objective. And then you're done, you breathe a big sigh of relief. And you, as you've promised significant others in your life, we're gonna go, we're gonna go do something when this is done. And hopefully you did that. What does it mean to you when you see work family self as a leader, as a coach, as a, as a person? Well, when you're thinking about, you know, where do you wanna work? You can balance like, okay, these people are paying this much, but I have this much time with my family here. And maybe I get to start later in the day on this job. So that means I can work out in the morning. So there's all these different factors that determine like, is this a good culture for me? And I think that lots of times the organizations can, like you're saying, like encourage you to have a better family life and have a better self-care mm-hmm. routine. So I think that's really important to coaching culture in general. Right. Yeah. For, for me, like I said, the W is really big right now, but I do love what one of our facilitators was saying in class, Jar, while you were abroad, it, she was saying that for her, the F is mm. H and it's home mm. because for some people, maybe they, they, they might not have you know, a family or they don't have that significant other in their life yet. So I think it's just another beautiful way to look at it. And and like we said in the beginning, it is your own house, but it is still important and you can, you can truly make a home anywhere. But yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways to look at the balance of these. Yeah. And for us, culture development includes creating a sense of family at work. And I know there's a lot of debate on that. I just saw a recent essay, not sure it was in Forbes or Harvard Business Review, but somebody was talking about my work is not my family. That's not what we mean. <laughs> we don't mean take your work home or answer emails at three o'clock in the morning or you know, socialize. We're going to have a co- company picnic in a couple of days, but not every day, a couple of times a year. But definition of family is very personal. And wherever you might find that is what we're talking about when we talk about family. Self. There are times in our lives, you, you two are finishing your degrees. I know you were burning the midnight oil. There are times in life we don't take care of self and we need people around us to remind us, hey, how long has it been since you slept? How long has it been since you've eaten? But we also got to take a, a role in that as well. Vision, the most often listed characteristic of leadership that I see is a scholar of leadership, read, read, read hundreds and hundreds of books and articles, essays. Almost every one of them talks about vision. For me, in many ways, it's that differentiator between management and leadership. Managers think day-to-day, maybe quarter-to-quarter, but leaders think year-to-year, decade-to-decade. Are you willing and able to do that? For us, vision is uh, pushing out 30 years. It's a bit uncomfortable, but one of our philosophies, if you're comfortable, you're not growing. And so let's make ourselves a little uncomfortable and project 30 years into the future. For me, at my point in life, it's more legacy, perhaps, than actual practice. But no matter what happens in your life, what is not going to change? So your health, your work, your family, 30 years from now, you want to be surrounded by people who love you, either in a successful career, having finished a successful career, perhaps some financial freedom, not living paycheck to paycheck. That's what we talk about when we talk about 30 years. What can you do now 
in the next five years, in the next year, and today to get closer to that vision, to sustain the opportunity to achieve that vision. That's why we ask ourselves to push out 30 years. I know both of you have done that. What do you, what do you think when you see that pillar? Now I'm starting to think about it more personally where, you know, that having an imagination and having, you know, doodling in my journal and like, I've noticed that like a lot of that kind of unstructured time that seems like it's like, oh, I'm just, you know, head in the clouds kind of thing is kind of the way that I do it. So just having that idea of like, what's possible for me in the next couple of years, like you're never going to take that next step and, you know, go back to school or get a different job or, or do something major like that unless you, you know, allow yourself to think about it and imagine it happening. Yeah, I love that. The realm of the possible. So giving yourself time to think about the realm of the possible. Yeah, for me with vision, I, I kind of think back to the column right before it because my vision for myself is very different than, than my mm. vision for my home and my vision for my work. So I love to think about it in those different different realms. And I do think it is like so crucial to think about. doesn't matter where you're at. When I first met JR, I was 20 years old. And I had never even thought about thinking about my 50 year old <laughs> self. Like <laughs> there was, it just, it wasn't something that I was, <laughs> it wasn't something I was thinking about. And it really made me think I was, I was like, it's like I have a car and I have no destination of where I'm going. I don't want to be driving in circles my whole life. This is really important. And so having that to look at and to, you know, project 30 years down the road is, is really, really helpful. Yeah, and windows of opportunity open and close at times in your life. I joke all the time about running exactly half as fast as I used to. So my PRs are behind me, right? I heard someone say it this morning. Oh, we're in a cohort of very senior leaders. And the most senior leader there said, I've got more runway behind me than in front of me. And I'm at that stage of my life. It's just a mathematical fact. So there's a lot of windows closed. The Olympics... Uh, being president of the United States. I don't know. There's just a lot of things when you're 60 years old, the door is closed. So you, when you're, even when you're 20, there are windows that open and close. You get a felony conviction in something, not that you ever would. That closes a lot of doors forever. So that's why we want you to think and act as if you had control of all of that. You really can't set any of these in place until you've evaluated all of them. And even then, you're constantly making compromises between them. And so in the fifth week, when we introduced vision, is where we really get the first opportunity to take a look at what does that mean to the others. Your vision informs your principles, which informs your TCE, which informs your work family self. They all inform each other. And so when you have conflicts, which is natural and normal and expected, we shouldn't shy away from those. How do you reconcile those conflicts? Something has to give. So if you have a vision you're absolutely convinced of, that's out of alignment with your TCE. I want to be a CEO, but I also want to be a, a, the best coder in the world. You got some decisions to make. Or family is everything to me, and I want to work a four-day, 30-hour week. What does that mean? Can you achieve your vision with that work-family self? No right or wrong just is. What do you think? about them all weaving together and compromising back and forth. Yeah, I think 
it's going to be hard to click until we have more exposure, I guess, from the listener's perspective. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of overwhelming <laughs> to try to kind of weave together. I mean, yeah, you're together. both doing this in real time, right? And so am I. I have to admit, I slept in this morning. I got up the last <laughs> three nights at 4 a.m. And I said, I convinced myself, yeah, it won't be that bad. And so I didn't get up. I slept in. But can I do that every day? No. So yeah, it is tough. It is challenging. but certainly rewarding. And I'll, I'll tell a story in Vision Week. And I'm sure you have exemplar stories of each of these in your own lives and your own coaching. And we'll bring those in. That, that for me demonstrates the need and the tremendous value of having this vision, but also putting all four of these pillars in place to make it happen. Six enabling characteristics. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of characteristics we could have put. These are the six that we choose we continue to evaluate and convince ourselves they are the six enabling characteristics. And we'll spend a week on each of them. What does it mean to be a humble leader? What does it mean to be a powerful leader? Why do you need to be powerful? Why do you need to be bold, driven? How do you reconcile drive and work family self? How do you uh, reconcile humility and power? We'll talk through all of that. A couple of them are purposefully provocative, charisma, a lot of historical examples of charisma gone bad. Won't mention anybody by name, but you can envision in your own mind, I'm sure, people who've had tremendous charisma, they used it to gain tremendous power and did terribly tragic things with it. That's not the kind of leadership that we're talking about. And then the idea of being unreasonable. I think some people are naturally more of one than the other, but it's super helpful to kind of look at examples and see how other people have done things, even if you don't necessarily identify and maybe you do in some way that's not intuitive yeah. right off the bat. Like you don't consider yourself, you know, bold, but you are doing yeah. things in your life that exemplify that. Yeah. Or vice versa. There may be some that you want to work on more for yourself, or maybe you look up to bold leaders around you and you'd like to exhibit some of those traits that they have. So I think it's just all areas that you can work on for our listeners Great. listening in. And then the final capstone is lifelong learning. Where do we go from here? Even in a 12-week program, we're just beginning. And so where, how do we approach mastery of these? If you think about continuum of knowledge, it starts with awareness. And so we're, for many of us, the first time we've thought about these things and become aware of TCE or aware of work family self as a component of our leadership. Then you get familiar. That's what the week's all about, get familiar. And then eventually proficient. So by the time the 12 weeks is up, you should have a proficiency in what your house of leadership looks like. But then this path to mastery is literally the rest of your life, working on compromising, building all of these characteristics for your house, how they impact your leadership, how they impact your coaching. So that's what the lifelong learning is all about. Courageous willingness and ability. You're going to hear us in these 12 weeks talk a lot about willingness and ability. It's a really important intersection. In many ways, it goes back to all the principles, all of the TCE, the work from yourself, the vision. Do you have the willingness to have the courage to do those things? How do you muster that willingness? An ability, there just might be some things that you don't know and you need to gain that ability. What does it mean to be emotionally intelligent? That might be a blind spot for you. You need to gain the ability to demonstrate emotional intelligence. So willingness and ability is really important. We're going to talk about and you're going to communicate very specific goals, objectives, and key results. And there's a big difference between each of those three. 
Goals, again, they're those things that no matter what happens, they don't change. Health, family, love, no matter what happens in your life. Objectives, a little closer, a little more finite, five years to one year sort of milestones. So if I want to get a master's degree, what do I got to do to make that happen? Get accepted, probably take the GMAT, study. Those are the kind of objectives between now and finishing And the key results are really those finite, how do I measure that I'm getting closer? So for your master's degree was 12 classes, so many credits with so much, with this kind of specific breakdown, a suite of these three, so focus here. And so are you measuring and achieving those finite results? And for us, for self, others, and the organizations that we work with and for, So that includes profit, for-profit, churches, soccer clubs, our work, our home, all of those things fall into this idea of courageous willingness and ability. This is your slide, uh, Rosalie, from back in the day. Yes, it is. And I was talking a little bit about it earlier with the different enabling characteristics and how there might be one that you look at and you're hoping to work on more. And so kind of my philosophy here is that You can evaluate your willingness and ability for these things, and you can sharpen those tools. So you can, you can, with your house of leadership, you can work on the different areas and they'll continue to change and mature as you go through life as well. I remember when I was in high school, I asked this one leader that I looked up to, she was my Latin teacher. And I said, how do you not care what people think of you? And, and she said to me, she was like, it's something that comes with age. And I was like, no, but what's the secret? (laughs) And it's something that, you know, this, this program has also helped me look at too. But yeah, I really do think there are areas that you can change and it's not fixed in any sense of the word. I just want to take just a quick second to say that the courage that we're talking about is not what you might think of for battlefield bravery. It's just two very different things. They come from the same place, but the courage we're talking about is a internal courage that allows you to pursue this journey and stay true to the journey. A lack of this courage is not cowardice. It's not cowardice on a battlefield. So I just want to differentiate between those two. And one of the things that I've learned from you and we talk about a lot is giving ourselves grace. If you find your courage being challenged or you're questioning your courage, those questions are not cowardice. Not talking about that at all. Normalcy, really. It's normal for all of us to have those questions. Wonder, like you did, am I really up for this? <laughs> Can I coach someone three times my age with the resume that's amazing? And the answer is yes. We talked about this already, and you'll we'll talk about it every week. At the intersection of personal and professional. So here we are well into the 21st century Personal and professional are so intertwined in our lives that it's impossible to separate them. So as a leader, as a coach, as a person, why not purposefully pursue them both, encourage them both? As you're thinking about the next steps in your life, evaluating the cultures, evaluating your path, I strongly suspect that this personal and professional is central to those decisions, those millennial or a a Gen Z What comes to mind when you hear engaging both personal and professional courage? I mean, I guess there's some things, speaking of opportunity costs, like maybe if you focus 100% on technical, if you're a programmer and and you 
study for the job at Google and get that job. And then, I mean, they're notorious for like having a very intense culture compared to, you know, some other places. So are you willing to sacrifice things in your personal life for your professional life? Does one take precedent over the other or like finding a balance there? And yeah, like there's all sorts of decisions you can make that affect Mm -hmm. that in your life. Yeah, none right or wrong just is for you and yours, right? Rosalie's not yet a parent. I know you are. I strongly suspect the arrival of that young man changed a lot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, (laughs) without a doubt. (laughs) For me, and I I think this might be more of like a Gen Z kind of thing, but these are so, they're so intertwined that I didn't even like think of them being separate, which I know sounds a little stupid. But If you're in a room full of boomers and, and you tell them, but what about you as a person at work? They're going to go, huh? you know, and so this, you know, they'll be it's funny, very you know, perplexed. We're on this journey yeah. together and we learn from each other. That's one of our <laughs> themes, actually. We learn from each other. One of the things I've learned from Gen Z and maybe even from the millennials is talking about your mental health is just as common as talking about your hip aches or your back hurts. And when that first started happening, yeah. when you and I first started working together, I was like, what is going on here? Everybody who comes into this room has mental challenges and I probably need to refer them to a therapist, but no, it's just part of your vernacular, part of your life. And the same is true of this intersection of personal and professional. As odd as it is for you to think, how could I possibly separate them? It's just as difficult as it is for me and my peers to say, how could I possibly intertwine them? They're very different things. Nine to five, got my uniform on, and I'm working before and after. No, not so much. That's my personal. Yeah. So that's part of the beauty of this journey. Finally, we're down to our next to last slide. The academic egghead head in me would say penultimate. This is something you and I talk about a lot, all of us. You've got this. You've got this spark in you to be that courageous leader, that courageous coach. So come with us on this journey. It's going to be amazing. You're going to be so different by the time it's done. We all have imposter syndrome. I ask myself all the time. I asked myself this morning. I talk all the time about a coaching culture and a coaching style of leadership. But am I really doing that? Am I really a coaching leader? So we all do that. Have the courage to do it anyway, to be that exemplar coach and that exemplar leader. I guess, you know, those thoughts that JR was mentioning, they're going to keep coming up and you'll have a voice telling you like, you know, you're not making any progress, but I think just try to shut that down when it comes up and just give yourself a week, two weeks, three weeks, and not necessarily at the end of 12 weeks, but after maybe halfway through, Mm, then kind of gauge your progress. And and you'll find that like all those voices were, you know, those were wrong, like, because now here you are. Yeah, I distinctly remember seeing your face at your graduation beaming this accomplishment that you had just done. And the whole time you're going through it, you're like, man, this is hard. This is a slog. I don't know if I want to keep doing this. <laughs> there you are at graduation with this big grin on your face. Like, yes. <laughs> and, and you brought up one of my favorite topics and that is uh, allow yourself to watch yourself grow. You see yourself every day. So you don't get to see the kind of growth that we're going to see in you, see you once a week. I was just going to say, kick the self-limiting perceptions at the door for the next 12 weeks. Cause it, 
they're not going to do you anything. And they're really important for your mindset to just keep that open mind and believe in yourself that you can make the change that you see for yourself. You've introduced the topic that they're scratching their head. What does she mean? Self-limiting perceptions. This is foreign to you. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Perception. I know. That could be a whole other episode. <laughs> so it is a two to three hour a week investment. So the hour that you're going to spend with us or thereabouts, and then the hour that you're going to spend in conversation with other leaders, journaling, significant others, coaches, it ends up being about a two to three hour a week engagement across these 12 weeks. So give yourself the gift of that time. Journaling, if you don't journal already, strongly recommend. It's super cool to look back and see myself the day that my four children were born. What was going through my mind? What was important to me? What was I thinking? I've been journaling since 1980. Conversations with other leaders. It's really a neat opportunity for you because you get an opportunity to talk to 12 people that you may have wanted to talk to for a long time. Stretch yourself. Get an Excel spreadsheet out and say, for each of these characteristics, who do I want to have the conversation with? And stretch. I've had conversations with people that I would never have imagined would have said yes. Brian Elwood, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, never would have thought he'd say yes and be so enthusiastic about it. Others that I'm looking at the stack of books on my desk that I'm going to ask, and they're likely to say yes. And the conversation goes something like this. Hey, Lucas, I'm in this leadership development program. And this week we're talking about courage and I've been watching you and you seem to be a courageous leader. Could you set aside some time to talk to me? Almost everybody in the world is going to say yes to that. If you want to be just a bit Machiavellian, find 12 people you've always wanted to talk to and give them that invitation. And I'll almost guarantee you they'll say yes. Significant others, got to make them part of this journey. If you don't, you're going to fall short or you're going to get there alone. Don't do that. Talk to significant others. We get a lot of feedback about how difficult that is, but how rewarding it is. So go ahead and do it. Any closing thoughts from either of you on developmental assignments? Yeah, I think you mentioned earlier, but recognize that this takes a little bit of coordination and give yourself a little extra time to make mm-hmm. these appointments and and everything. And if you need to go a week in advance or something, send the invitations earlier or just logistically it can get challenging. So give yourself yeah, time. Agree. Keep give yourself time and, and keep working towards all of these things. We've had people who have done journaling for a while and they're like, I'm not <laughs> I'm not seeing the results yet and they're only two weeks in. So keep it up while you're a part of this program. And I promise you that you'll see you'll see remarkable change by then. Well, there we are. House of Leadership, Building and Remodeling. This is week one of the 12-week journey. So we all look forward to seeing you here next week. Take care. Thanks, guys. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.